Father, we just want to thank You again for the opportunity to come here and study Your Word. And we pray that Your Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, and um, help us understand this um, very, very important subject about the Sabbath. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Okay. What we're going to look at today, I really like this particular one because we're going to see how these guys have really, and when you hear this, you're, you're going to hear people say this, okay? And when you hear this, you're going to know immediately from our study today that it's simply not so. You know, it's one thing for somebody to say something, it's another thing to prove it, isn't it? Anybody can say anything they want. But we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to prove it from the Bible today. So what we're going to look at today, here's one of the, the things these guys say. They say there's no Sabbath commandment in the New Testament. Now remember, though they said there was no commandment in Genesis, remember? Now they're saying there's no commandment in the New Testament. Then they say nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament except the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Now they only do this to get around the Sabbath. We all know that. Right, right, exactly. See, so, so this is what they say, and we're going to look at it carefully, and I mean carefully. Now, churches are taught by their pastors and leaders not to keep the Sabbath. Isn't that true? That's what they're taught. Matter of fact, we've all just finished the Unlocked Revelation. We do a series of meetings, you know, and when it comes to the Sabbath, what's the first thing these people do when they come to these Unlocked Revelations? They run to their pastor. Right? And they say their pastor, you know, I'm learning something about this Sabbath thing, right? Oh, don't worry about that. That was the old Jewish Sabbath, nailed to the cross, all this and that. And then they don't come back, right? That's what happens. So they're taught by their pastors that the Sabbath isn't important. That's what they're taught. And so they basically just parrot it. They don't really study it out for themselves. They just parrot it. So... I want to look at one here in a minute, John MacArthur. For example, John MacArthur, a well-known preacher. You've heard of John MacArthur? John MacArthur is a, you know, he's a, a, a dynamic speaker. Very dynamic speaker. And uh, if you've ever heard of him or have seen him, he's a very dynamic speaker. And he captivates the audience. He really does. Powerful speakers. Written commentaries, all that kind of thing. Well, I'm going to show you what John MacArthur says about the very thing we're going to talk about today. Listen to this. All Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament some numerous times except the Fourth Command. It is never repeated in the New Testament, not one single time. Now, this is a theologian, Dr. John MacArthur. Now, you would think... A theologian, now the credibility, what about the credibility? You know, a lot of people don't even check it out. You know that? They really don't because of who says it. Right? Listen, I want to tell you something. You don't have to take my word for it. Check it out. What I'm sharing with you, check it out. And then if I'm not saying something right, you know what I'd hope you would do as a Christian brother and sister? I'd hope you'd come to me and say, look, you said this, but the Bible says this. Because I want to get in line with what? The Bible. Right? And we don't all know everything all at once, do we? So that's how we learn. Well, this is what MacArthur says. Now, 
Do you remember when I mentioned Dudley M. Canwright? D.M. Canwright. Remember that name? He was an Adventist pastor for 28 years, left the church, wrote a book against Adventists called Seventh-day Adventism Renounced. Listen to what Canwright said back in the 1800s. Listen to what he said. Accepting the Sabbath, the other nine commandments are in the New Testament, either in the same words or in substance. Except what? The Sabbath. See that? Now that was Canwright. Now, Dale Ratzliff comes along, and Dale Ratzliff says this. All the moral principles found in the Ten Commandment law of the Old Covenant have been repeated in the New Covenant with exception of the Sabbath command. There it is right there. That's what Dale says. Okay? Now, we're going to challenge this. I don't know about you, but I like challenges. And we're going to challenge these statements right here. We're not going to just accept it, okay? We're going to challenge it. Listen to this commentary. All the Ten Commandments except the fourth are restated. Isn't that amazing? So that's what they're telling us. In other words, nine commandments are valid for the Christian, but one of them isn't, the Sabbath. That's what they're saying. Now, we're going to test it. Let's test this to see if this is really what the Bible says. Because a lot of people don't even test it. They just accept it. That's exactly what they do. So after today's study, you're going to know that, hey, when you hear this, because I guarantee you, you will hear this. If you share anything about the Sabbath, ultimately you're going to hear this very thing. By the way, have any of you ever heard this? You've heard it, haven't you? So it's very important to understand context, right? By the way, if you're dealing with some of the issues these guys raise that have left the church over different doctrinal teachings, and they say something like this. They say, oh, you have taken that out of context. Have you ever heard anybody say that before? People use that as a crutch to throw you off. So here's what you do. When somebody says to you, oh, you took that out of context, you say, well, what is the context? And I guarantee you, they're not going to tell you what the context is. What is the context? You see, because many times Adventists are accused of proof texting out of context. You know that. All right? You've heard that before, right? So we're going to look at proof texting as just picking out a text out of its context to prove something. Yeah. Okay, so context is very important. Now, I like dictionaries. When you're studying the Bible or studying a particular subject, by the way, have you ever heard of Robert Gentry who wrote a book called Creation's Tiny Mysteries? You, you've heard of that, right, or read that? Well, he was a scientist, and so a lot of us don't know scientific terms, right? So what's a good way to learn some of those terms? Put the dictionary right there with you. So if you're reading something and you don't understand the meaning of it, well, why not find something to help you understand the meaning, right? Well, that's what we're going to do today. So watch this. We're going to go to the dictionary, and I want to put the word assumption taken right out of the dictionary, the word of assumption. Listen to this. The act of assuming a statement accepted or supposed true without what? Proof of or demonstration. Proof. Listen to this. Reenact 
to enact, again, reenact a law. Quote, to repeat or copy the words of another, usually with acknowledgement of the source. Mention the act of briefly or casually referring to something, an incidental reference or allusion. Now, you understand what allusion is. For example, have you ever heard people say, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't use the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian, right? Well, in the book of Revelation, did you know that the biggest part of the book of Revelation actually comes from the Old Testament? Did you know that? And there are so many allusions in the book of Revelation that come directly from the Old Testament. You may have three or four or five allusions in one text coming directly from the Old Testament. If a person doesn't understand the Old Testament, how in the world are they going to understand the book of Revelation? Because it, it comes from the Old Testament. So that's mentioning, reference or illusion. Refer to direct to a source for help or what? Information, refer. Allude, to make an indirect reference to. Now you're going to see why I'm going into these definitions in just a minute. Restate, to state again or in a new form. Now let's come to repeat. Because they usually use three different words. Either reenact, repeat, or reinstitute. You'll hear people say those three things. For example, oh well, Ten Commandments. No, we only have to keep nine. It was restated in the New Testament. Or Ten Commandments, we only have to keep nine because it was reenacted in the New Testament. Or Ten Commandments, no, we only have to keep nine because it was repeated in the New Testament. Got it? That's the terminology these guys use. Now, yesterday I hit on it just a little bit about moral and ceremonial, right? Moral and ritual. Now, watch this. These guys use the word ritual. We're going to talk about it. But notice the definition of ritual. The prescribed form or order of conducting a religious or solemn what? Ceremony. That's the dictionary definition. Let's look at ritual again. A body of ceremonies or rites, a book of rites or ceremonial forms, rituals, a ceremonial act or series of such acts. That's the dictionary definition. Now let's look at the word ceremonial. Ceremonial, a set of ceremonies devoted to forms and ritual. Very important to understand what I'm going to do when I go with this. So watch this. Ceremony, a formal act or set of acts performed as prescribed by ritual. Now, I like synonyms. I like books that tell us what synonyms are. You know what synonyms are? Well, watch this. Right. It means ritual ceremony, and ceremonial. So these words are actually interchangeable describing the same thing. Yes or no? Right? Can we agree to that? All right, everybody agree to that? Okay. Now watch what Ken Wright says. Here's what Ken Wright said. Moral law, ceremonial law, Adventists use these two terms as freely as though the Bible were full of them. Now this is what Canwright said. You see that? He's saying, well, Adventists use those terms all the time, as if it's full of that in the Bible, right? So when we talk about the distinction between moral law 
And ceremonial law, we use the term ceremonial. And we all know what we're talking about, don't we? When we use the term ceremonial, right? Now, Dale Ratzliff really looked at Ken Wright. And Dale Ratzliff really looked at a man by the name of H.M. Riggle. Now, I want to tell you here how people parrot what somebody else has said before them. Because this isn't original with H.M. Riggle. And yet, Dale Ratzliff quotes this guy as a source of authority. Okay? And watch what HMS or H.M. Riggle says. Listen to what he says. Moral, ceremonial law. Adventists use these two terms as freely as though the Bible were full of them. Where did he get that at? We just read it from Canright, didn't we? That wasn't anything new, was it? So what did he do? He just parroted that from Canright. You see that? Now, listen to this. Ritual. I want to go into this again. Ritual. The prescribed form or order of conducting a religious or solemn ceremony. A body of ceremonies or rites. A book of rites or ceremonial forms. Rituals. Ceremonial act or series of such acts. Now remember what the synonym finder said. Ceremonial means what? Ritual. Now, let's go to Dale Ratzliff now, and watch what Dale says. One cannot divide the Old Covenant in two subdivisions of moral and ceremonial. And what do we do? We show a distinction between the moral law, the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God, and the ceremonial law, don't we? So there's, those are two separate things, aren't they? Two separate laws. They're not the same law. All right? Now, watch what he goes on to say. Old Covenant moral laws, these laws would include all the moral laws within the Ten Commandments. Remember, we talked about subtle, didn't we? Okay? I want to read that again, so listen carefully. Old Covenant moral laws, these laws would include all the moral laws within the Ten Commandments. Now, you would think that that would include the Sabbath as well, wouldn't you? Right? Not so. Not with his interpretation. Then he divides it by saying, Old Covenant, gospel shadows. These laws include what? The ritual laws and ceremonies. Okay? Now, I like this because I went through his whole book, this one right here, and I counted every single time he used these terms right here. So we have ritual. He used it 99 times in his book. 99 times he used the word ritual. He used rituals one time, ritually two times, ceremony six times, ceremonial ten times, ceremony four times, moral 109 times, and morality eight times. And guess what? All those are in the context of what he's using the words for. Not Adventist. Now, what did we read in Canwright and Riggle? Adventists use these terms as if the Bible's full of them. And yet, he's using all these words. Isn't that amazing? And it's okay? Just not us. We just can't use them. He could use them, but we can't. Does that make any sense? Absolutely not at all. Now, the source he quotes, H.M. Riggle, who quoted Canwright, right? And H.M. Riggle, watch what he says. 
He says this in his book. I have his book. I, I went through it from cover to cover. And H.M. Riggle says this. He himself makes a, the distinction, just like we do. And notice, he takes the word ceremonial, and watch this. He quotes Luke 2.27 and verse 24, and listen to what he says. Ceremonial. The parents brought in the child Jesus to do with him after the custom of the law. Luke 2.27. That is to offer a sacrifice, verse 24. So now he says, he calls this law right here, what? Ceremonial. All right? Now watch this. He takes the moral law now, and notice what he says, moral. Now he calls this the moral law, and he says this, moral. The law is not made for righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers. Notice the text he quotes, 1 Timothy, New Testament, 1 Timothy 1.9. Then he says this, this is the Decalogue. Now friends, you know what Decalogue means? Ten Commandments. You know what? I'm amazed at what people think. You remember years ago in the Supreme Court when they were debating on whether or not to have the Ten Commandments posted on the walls of the public schools? You remember that? That, that debate went on in the United States Supreme Court. And the interesting thing is, I wish they would get it straight. If you don't believe in the fourth one, don't call it the Ten Commandments. It is not the Ten Commandments. If you want to post nine commandments on the wall, then do so. But don't call it the Ten Commandments if you take the fourth one out. That makes absolutely no sense. So Rigo himself makes a distinction between the ceremonial and moral. You could read his book on it and he'll show you. And he calls this the Decalogue. The word Decalogue, there, Deca, comes from the Greek term Deca means ten. Not nine. Ten. Okay, everybody with me? At the beginning you said that Raskett said that the moral and the ceremonial couldn't be separated. That's right. Well, why did the Hebrews put one inside and one outside? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And why does he label the ten, ten commandments? You'll hear people say, oh, there's 613 rules and regulations and all this and that. Listen, I ask when you go to James, I ask, what's the 11th commandment? What's the 12th one, 13th, 14th? By the way, when God wrote the ten commandments, very interesting in what the Bible says. After he completed the ten commandments, it says, and he added no more. That means it's complete, perfect. Don't touch it. Leave it just like it is. So he goes on to refer to this as the Decalogue. So even himself, even H.M. Riggle uses the word moral, and even H.M. Riggle used the word ceremonial. It's okay for them to use it, but not us. That makes no sense. Now, let's go to back to the dictionary for a minute. Listen to this. Decalogue. It's spelled two ways, actually. Decalogue or Decalogue, and that is what? The Ten Commandments. Not nine. Ten. Now, people want to say Adventists dreamed all these things up through a false prophetess and all that. Watch this. Let's go to the 1828 Dictionary. What did I say? 1828. Listen to this. The moral law is similarly contained in the Decalogue, or what? 
the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God on two tables of stone and delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, so here, this is the dictionary of 1828. Makes it very clear that Adventists didn't invent the word moral law. Correct? Well, let's move on. The word moral is applicable to actions that are good or evil, virtuous or vicious, and has reference to the law of God as the standard by which their character is to be determined. Now, we didn't say that. The dictionary said that in 1828. Isn't that amazing? And don't we talk about character? Don't we say that's the only thing that's going to... Right? Character? Listen to this. Moral law. A law which prescribes to men their religious and social duties. In other words, their duties to God. Right? First set. And to each other. Right there. Okay? The moral law is similarly contained in the Ten Commandments. I've already said that. Let's go on. Now, watch this. Ceremonial law. Now, this is what the dictionary called the Mosaic Institution. See that? That's what you just said about in the sight of the heart. Ceremonial law, Mosaic Institutions, which prescribe the external rites and ceremonies to be observed by the Jews as distinct from the moral precepts, which are a perpetual obligation. And what did we say yesterday about thou shalt not? Permanent prohibition. You know, when the Bible says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, that means never take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and it'll never be okay to do that. Of course, we could be forgiven, right? But he's saying, don't do that. The same word is used to describe, you remember when God destroyed the world by flood? The same term is used to describe what God said in response to that flood. He said, I'll never destroy the earth again by a Flood. That word never means permanent. He's never going to do that. Ceremonial, relating to ceremony or external rite, ritual according to the forms of established rites and as ceremonial exactness. Again, what Dale's doing is he's taking the fourth commandment not as moral, but as ritual law. That's what he's doing. It is particularly applied to the forms and rites of the Jewish religion as the ceremonial law or worship as distinguished from the moral law, from the moral and judicial law. Ritual, here it is, pertaining to rites, consisting of rites as ritual services or service or sacrifices, prescribing rites as the ritual law, a book containing the rites to be observed. So here the dictionary makes a clear distinction between moral law and ceremonial law. Yes or no? Yes. Clear distinction. This is all in this dictionary right here. Now, what do I say here? All this was long before Adventists. These terms were used to describe the distinction between the two. And we need to see that clearly. We don't want to blur the lines here. We need to see that clearly. Okay. These terms are in the dictionary with these distinct meanings. So, if Adventists use these, the terms one time or a thousand times, these are dictionary-approved terms. Can we all agree to that? Yes. 
So when they try to say, well, you know, Adventists use this distinction between moral and ceremonial. Well, we don't have to defend ourselves. We could go right to the dictionary. Say, look it up in the dictionary for yourself. So, it's quite obvious that Adventists didn't just one day dream it up. Isn't that true? So, we make a distinction, clear distinction between the moral law of God, which is titled the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God Himself, and ceremonial law. Those two things are very clearly distinct. Okay? Now, when we go to the moral law, we want to look at a point here. In verse 28 of Exodus chapter 34, listen to what it says. And he was there with the Lord 40 days. By the way, didn't I say right there in Genesis in 7, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 there, that we found the seventh day mentioned how many times? How many times did we see the seventh day mentioned? Remember? What did I say? Three times. That's what's there. And I said that if it's important to God, he mentions it like that. Remember when I said that? Right? Did you know that the Ten Commandments, like this right here, is mentioned in the entire Bible? Do you know how many times? Three times. Three times. Ten Commandments mentioned three times. Now let's read it. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote, in reference to what God did, God wrote the, upon the tables the words of the covenant, what? The Ten Commandments. Now when we go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, 2, And ye shall not add unto the word which I commanded you, neither shall ye diminish. Friends, we better not touch the covenant. We better not touch it. Notice what he says. Neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. Now look at this, Deuteronomy 5.22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assemblies in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. So leave it alone, don't touch it. Leave it just like it is. Notice what he says in Deuteronomy 10.4. And he wrote, reference to God, wrote on the tables according to the first writings, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is mentioned three times. Now, let's go back to Canwright for just a minute. Three times. Now watch this. Listen to what Canwright says. The law was given only to the Jews. I'm glad he said that instead of me. Because his words are going to be accountable and my words are going to be accountable, right? That's what he says. The law was given only to the Jews. Now, let's test this to see if this is really true. It's going to be very easy. So let's do this. Here's what this interpretation looks like. Yes or no? True? You tell me if I'm wrong. Is this what it looks like if it's given only to the Jews? Yes? Okay. Remember what Canwright said. Accepting the Sabbath, the other nine commandments are in the New Testament, either in the same words or in substance. 
Now, Ratzliff comes along and he says all the moral principles found in the Ten Commandment law of the Old Covenant have been repeated. So he uses the word repeated in the New Covenant with the exception of the Sabbath. So what do we have here? I'm going to show you what this looks like. What is this supposed to mean? What is this supposed to mean? Well, let's parallel it. D.M. Canwright said, remember the law was only for the Jews. Yes? That's what he said. Okay, Ratzliff comes along. By the way, would we admit that that's nine Jewish commandments? No. To keep, are Christians to keep nine Jews only commandments repeated in the New Testament? Remember what Canwright said. He said, nine of them in words or in substance are repeated in the New Testament. Okay, so to keep nine commandments repeated in the New Testament would mean that we would be under nine-tenths of the law. Yes or no? You know, I wasn't very good in math in school. I wasn't very good, but I tell you what, it doesn't take too much to figure this out. Have you ever, ever heard somebody say, oh, we're not under the law, we're under grace? And then turn right around in the next breath and say, oh, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. Nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament. So what would that mean then? According to this interpretation, we are under nine-tenths of the law. Yes or no? And to top it all off, Jewish law. Because they said it's for the Jews only. Right? We're not under the law, but we're under grace. And they quote Romans 6.14. Yes? Don't they do that? Not under the law, but we're under grace. Is only said to get around the Sabbath, right? They don't say that with the other commandments, do they? Only when you bring up the Sabbath, right? Well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Only when you bring up the Sabbath. Not one single text in all the Bible refers to the law only to mean the Sabbath. Did you get that? So there's a contradiction. We're going to look at it. Anybody that says we're not under the law, having a misinterpretation of that passage, would make the Bible contradict itself. Not only the Bible contradict itself. This is just one example here. I'm just giving you one example. There's many through the New Testament. I'm just giving you one example here. You see, not only would it make Paul, or I mean the Bible contradict itself, but it would make Paul contradict Paul. Because Romans 6.14 says ye, ye are not under the law. Ephesians 6.2, Paul says, honor thy father and mother. That's the law. Yes or no? Yes. So that would be a contradiction, wouldn't it? If you have a false interpretation of this text, it would be a contradiction. Okay? The best defense in any case, if you've ever been in law in a, a court case, You've been, some of you have been summoned to a court case before. Jury duty, that kind of thing. Well, what's interesting, the best defense in any case is what? The law itself. The law itself. So we're going to test this thing today to see if it's really true. We're going to go to the law. Now watch this. Let's go to the cross and look at the Ten Commandments at the cross. Is that fair? Because this is what people say. Ratzliff says the commandments were nailed to the cross, and, and so did Canride and H.M. Riggles. They all say that. 
The law was nailed to the cross. We're going to look at it. So let's go to the cross. Let's look at the Ten Commandments at the cross. Is that fair? Okay. The argument goes like this. The law was nailed to the cross. Have you ever heard that before? Nine of the Ten Commandments were reenacted or repeated or restated in the New Testament except the Sabbath, the Fourth Commandment. Have you heard that? Well, let's test it. Now, notice what Colossians 2... By the way, we could spend, we could spend months just on this text. I'm serious. I'm just giving you some key points, highlights, but we could spend a long time on these texts. Notice what the text says. Paul says in Colossians 2.14, context. Remember context? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Then in verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Now here's where these guys go. They flock to these texts right here. What's the title of our series? Facing the critics. We're not going to run from this. We don't have to run from these texts. Watch this. Notice Ephesians 2.15, a parallel passage. Ephesians 2.15, talking about the same exact thing as what Paul said in Colossians. And notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2.15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. So let's look at interpretation. If it's really the Ten Commandments that was nailed to the cross, and that's their interpretation, well, let's put the Ten Commandments in the text. How's that? Is that fair? That's their interpretation. Let's put it in the text. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, the Ten Commandments, we blot them out, right? That was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, took it, the Ten Commandments, out of the way, nailing it, the Ten Commandments, to his cross. That's their interpretation, friends. That's their interpretation right there. Do we agree with that? That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. That's their claim. That's their interpretation. So goes the argument like this. The law was nailed to the cross. The Sabbath, nailed to the cross. The fourth commandment was abolished. That's their interpretation, yes or no? All right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to nail the Ten Commandments to the cross. And watch what happens. The law nailed to the cross. By the way, the law nailed to the cross. Don't take it down from the cross. Once it's been nailed on the cross, don't take it down. You understand what I'm saying? It's nailed there. Leave it there. Don't take it down. Don't take nine off the cross and bring it down. It's nailed up on that cross. Ten Commandments. Yes? Reasoning from their interpretation. Okay? Now, let's challenge that. Let's look at it carefully. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right? Is there ever a time that it would be okay to have other gods? Is this commandment an eternal commandment? 
How then was an eternal commandment nailed and abolished at the cross? I'd sure like to hear an answer to that. Y'all going to give me an answer to that? Do you, you understand where I'm coming from? Now, watch this. What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? There's nothing wrong with that commandment. Is there anything wrong with that commandment? Why then would it need to be nailed to the cross? Let's go to the next one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. You know why? The law of God protects us. You know what? If the whole world, I'll prove it right now, if the whole world kept the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't have this problem we're in today. Wouldn't have to worry about locking your house. Wouldn't have to worry about somebody stealing your car. None of that. Right? If everybody in the world did that, we wouldn't be worrying about things, would we? Wouldn't be all the problems there is. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Why? Because He loves us. If, you know what? If you didn't make a graven image, then you wouldn't bow down to it, would you? The law of God protects us, friends. It actually protects us from those things. I mean, think about it. The kind of diseases people have today, would they have those diseases if they obeyed God? No, they wouldn't, would they? Absolutely not. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and here it is, and showing mercy. That's kesed in Hebrew meaning grace. When people say Old Testament law, New Testament grace, guess what? Grace is in the Ten Commandments. And God shows His people who He gives grace to in the Ten Commandments. Right here. Notice what He says. And showing mercy, that is grace, unto thousands of them that love is in the Ten Commandments, friends. It's right there. Them that love Me and break My commandments, keep My commandments. And that's context. What commandments is he talking about? The ones they want to nail to the cross. Right? So what's wrong with love? It's right there in the Ten Commandments. Anything wrong with love? Providing it's the right kind of love, right? Okay, there it is. Was loving God nailed to the cross? Think it through, friends. That's what the text says in the Ten Commandments. Was loving God nailed to the cross? What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? I don't see anything wrong with that commandment, do you? Nothing at all. Let's move on. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? Anybody have any ideas? Watch this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Now notice carefully what the text says. 
Let's really dive into this. Notice carefully what the text says. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Is it the Jew Sabbath? Is it, is it a German Sabbath or Russian Sabbath or American Sabbath? No. Whose Sabbath is it? It's the Lord's. It's His possession. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. There's your permanent prohibition. Now the Bible makes a clear distinction between what's permissible work and what's not. The Bible does. What's permissible and what's not permissible. Now watch what he goes on to say here. Listen to this. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And what did He do? And He rested the seventh day, not a seventh day. Don't let somebody try to pull that off on you. Dr. D. James Kennedy out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, he's passed away now, Presbyterian. And I've read his, uh, his uh, exposition of this commandment. And what he has said is that it simply means one day in seven, uh, a Sabbath, not the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. You know, it's not any one day of seven of your choice, friends. It's the seventh day. And notice what the Bible says. So he rested the seventh day, wherefore, this is the reason why, just like in Genesis, remember when we read in Genesis, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now let's break this down and look at it carefully. What is wrong with this commandment that the Lord blessed and hallowed? You see, simply because the, the Pharisees perverted the Sabbath doesn't mean the Sabbath is abolished. I mean, we see relationships today in the context of marriage, right? That is inappropriate according to the Bible. Yes or no? Right? Okay. So simply because a person has perverted that commandment does not do away with that commandment. Do we agree to that? I find nothing wrong with the commandment that God has blessed. I find nothing wrong with the commandment that God has made holy. Right there it is. So what is wrong with resting on the seventh day as God did? Anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. What is wrong with what God did in creating heaven and earth and the sea in six days? That's what the commandment says, yes or no? Anything wrong with that? Do you see anything wrong with that commandment? What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? You see, the ceremonial and ritual laws pointed to Jesus. When Jesus did that, the ceremonials ceased. Moral is eternal. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? Anything? Not at all. Thou shalt not kill. You see where I'm going with this? What's the best defense we have, friends? The law itself, right? Thou shalt not kill. What is wrong with the commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? This very commandment right here. 
Boy, if that was open season, we'd all be in big trouble, wouldn't we? Yeah, right. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What about that commandment? What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? That's what they've done. Thou shalt not steal. What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? What? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Is that nailed to the cross? What's wrong with it? Finally, the last one. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. What is wrong with this commandment that it had to be nailed to the cross? All right. We've just gone through the Ten Commandments. The Bible says the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Now why do you believe the law of the Lord is perfect? Just because it says so? Well, God's own finger did it. His own finger. Okay? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. So, if we nail all the Ten Commandments to the cross, there it is, Ten Commandments, nailed, nailed, right there, all of it, nailed. What is wrong with this commandment that had to be nailed to the cross, including all the commandments there? Well, this interpretation nails the Ten Commandments to the cross. You see it on the cross? All of them nailed, right? Is this interpretation that nails the Ten Commandments to the cross the true interpretation according to the Bible? What this interpretation wants us to believe is that the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross and then reenacted, repeated, or restated except the Sabbath, the Fourth Commandment. Now we're going to test this. We're going to look at it. Now this is what they're saying. They've unnailed nine of those and brought them down off the cross. Are you with me? To restate them, or repeat them, or reenact them. They've brought nine of them down, yes or no? That's exactly what they've done. In other words, this interpretation wants us to believe that nine-tenths of the law was unnailed and taken down off of the cross and restated, repeated, reenacted, except the Sabbath. So this interpretation would mean that out of ten commandments of the law that was nailed to the cross, nine of the ten have been reenacted in the New Testament. And only one remains on the cross, the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. Right? according to this interpretation, correct? Now, let's ask this question. Do you really and truly believe this? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Nine commandments reenacted? Well, let's look at it now. Jesus blotted out and abolished the Ten Commandments. This is what they're saying, nailing them to His cross, but then reenacted, repeated, restated nine commandments except the Sabbath that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Reenacting the handwritings of ordinances. Nine commandments, right? That was against us. Well, there was ten, but now they've taken nine away, brought them back, used them again. 
Now let's look at it. What this interpretation teaches us is that Ten Commandments were nailed up on the cross, and then nine commandments of the law came down from the cross, reenacted, repeated, restated, and the only one that remains on the cross is the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Now, this is what the nine commandment theory wants us to believe. Look at this carefully. Do you see a problem with that? Can you see it clearly? Old Testament, Ten Commandments, right? New Testament, nine commandments. No fourth commandment, right? Take note. If this is true, then we should be able to read in the New Testament every single text that repeats the commandments except the fourth commandment, correct? You see where I'm going now, don't you? So what do you think I'm going to do now, class? They're going to have to prove those nine commandments restated, repeated. Well, we're going to look at it. We're going to go to the very text they use and we're going to check it out. If you were asked to give Bible text to show that nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament, that's why I say challenge them. Say, well, give me those texts to show me. So if you were asked to give Bible text to show that nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament, what Bible text would you give to show each individual text that repeats the nine commandments? From what Bible text was the nine commandments repeated? In order to be repeated, it had to have already, that is, previously been in existence. You don't repeat something for the first time. You repeat something that has already been. Can we all agree to that? So from what Bible text was nine commandments repeated? Now, I, I like these Bible texts right here. Listen to what the Bible tells us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but what? But try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we're going to try it. Now watch this. We're going to try Dale. Dale Ratzliff gives the following text to prove his nine commandment repeated theory on pages 258 and 259 of his book. So what are we going to do? Let's try the spirits and see if what they say lines up with the Bible. Okay? Is that fair? This is what Dale says right here. It's all quoted right here. I put it on the screen. You might want to take a picture of that. This is those pages in his book that he quotes nine commandments repeated in the New Testament. Now, notice up here to the left, this is all his stuff. I just put the arrow there. This is all his. And notice to the left at the top, he says Decalogue. Now, what does Decalogue mean, friends? Ten. Ten, not nine. They need to get it straight. Now, no other God. So he quotes Exodus 20, verse 3. Then he quotes in the New Testament those texts. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and Ephesians 4, 6. Now, he does that all the way through, but not, watch this. When he comes to the Sabbath about us in the Christian era, keeping the Sabbath, he says, none. And he says, none. Okay? Now, we're going to test this. We're going to see something very, very interesting. According to Dale Ratzliff's chart, these texts are to prove his conclusion that nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament except the fourth commandment. Question, statement, who repeats the nine commandments? Remember, something to be repeated had to already have been said, correct? You don't repeat something for the first time. By the way, I know you ladies know. 
Because you're going to tell your husband, did you take the trash out? How many, how many husbands know that's what the ladies say? Now, is she telling you that for the first time? She's not telling you that for the first time, is she? No, she's told you a few times, right? Well, let's see what it, if these nine commandments are really repeated. So, let's examine carefully every single text that Dale Ratzliff gives to prove his nine commandment theory. And here they are. Now, I'm going to show you something here very interesting. We're going to plug all these texts in at the right place and who said these things. So here's a paradigm I put on the screen for you. I really like this because it makes it very clear and to the point. Dale quotes the seventh commandment that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. So he's quoting these texts before the cross. How then can you repeat something before it ever happened? To be abolished at the cross. Yeah. Very much a point. If Jesus stated them, and then at the cross they That's were right. abolished. Well, then, yeah, He'd already said to, that. Yeah, you got to those okay. Out. Right. You understand that? Yeah. And we're going to see a better picture in a minute. So Jesus said this right here before he ever went to the cross. All right. Now watch this. In 31 AD, Jesus, that's found in Matthew 6, 9, said that. 31 A.D., Jesus in Mark 10, 19. That's the fifth commandment. So you have the third commandment here, Jesus says. You have the fifth one here. And you have the seventh commandment here. You have the ninth and the tenth here. So Jesus only quoted these commandments before he ever went to the cross. Got it? Okay. So we're going to put the cross right there in the middle. Remember, the Old Testament say it was the Ten Commandments, right? New Testament, nine commandments. Again, friends, don't call it ten if you mean nine. So this is what the nine commandment theory wants us to believe. Now look at this carefully. The law, ten commandments. Now Jesus said this very thing right here before he ever went to the cross. The nine commandment interpretation needs to clarify, define what is meant by reenacted, repeated, or restated. Now we went through the dictionary on these terms, didn't we? They need to define what do they mean by these terms. How can Jesus, prior to his death on the cross, reenact, repeat, or restate what hasn't been abolished until the cross? Right? Now, let's look at John. John quotes the second commandment and the sixth commandment. So John only quotes these two commandments. That's found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, over here to the right. So Jesus quoted these here to the cross, and John quotes these after the cross. He only quotes the second and sixth commandment. Now I'm using Dale Ratzliff's text. I'm not using mine. I'm using his text. Got it? Okay. So John does this after the cross. Around 90 A.D., John writes, 1 John 5.21, he refers to the second commandment. And in 90 A.D., 1 John chapter 3, he refers to the sixth commandment. Got it? Everybody understand that? That's after the cross. Now we got a serious problem. Because the bulk of all the texts Dale Ratzliff quotes for his nine commandment re 
uh, statement or repeat theory comes from the Apostle Paul. Why is that a problem? Well, guess what? Paul wasn't converted to about three and a half years after the resurrection of Jesus. You know that. Remember, Paul was at the stoning of Stephen. Remember that? Okay, so now watch this. Remember, Jesus quotes the 7th, 3rd, 10th, 5th, and 9th before the cross. John quotes the 2nd and 6th after the cross. Now, Paul, amazing. Paul quotes the, the first commandment, the second, all these texts right here, Paul's quoting the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th commandments. Underneath this one, he's quoting the first commandment. And then over here, he's quoting the seventh. And then in Ephesians 4, 6, he's quoting uh, these texts here. He's quoting the first, second, fifth, and eighth. And here Paul quotes the third commandment. And in Hebrews 13, 5, Paul quotes the tenth. Tenth commandment. All right? Now remember, Dale Ratzliff throws the Sabbath out, right? So here's what he's doing. Now what's interesting is Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 quotes the first commandment. He did that in 59 A.D. 59 A.D. Now when you start looking at the commandments quoted, you got a serious problem. Because what if none of those commandments was repeated until when that date was? That means from the cross to that point, there was no first commandment? Until Paul said so? Repeated it? So only Paul after the cross, and he's quoting these commandments right here, according to Dale Ratzliff. But see, when you see it like this, it makes a big difference. 65 AD, Paul quotes 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, and he's quoting the third commandment. So here's the question. When was the nine commandments repeated? You saw all those dates when they were repeated. When the nine commandments was repeated, did the mark, did that mark the time from that point forward? That's a very important question. You see, because here, look at the time span between when Paul said that particular commandment from the cross. Remember, it was supposed to be nailed to the cross, nine commandments repeated, and then here Paul, all these years later, repeats it. So what do we have? Ten Commandments abolished, Colossians 2.14, Ephesians 2.15, Sabbath abolished, number four. Remember, they put the Ten Commandments there, then they restate or repeat. Now here's 58. Here's which what Paul was saying these commandments. All this time after the cross. There's a whole lot of years between there, don't you think? So my point is, does that mean then that the repeat of that commandment never happened till here, meaning it didn't exist from here to here? That's a problem, isn't it? Very serious problem. See, Paul's conversion is in Acts chapter 9. And it was about three and a half or so years after the crucifixion, shortly after the stoning of Stephen. See? And look at these dates along the way there in which Paul would have had said that what was repeated. Right. Exactly. So, just what point in time did Paul repeat the nine commandments. Paul, at the earliest, could have repeated the commandments no earlier than 35 A.D. when Paul was converted. That was three and a half years, actually. 
Now, read them again as reenactments, repeats, or restatements. Paul had found himself a sinner, right? Just like you said. But had repented and found pardon through Christ at his conversion experience. After the cross. After the cross. It seems strange how Paul could have repeated nine of the commandments years after it was abolished. And years before he repeated it. That's confusion, isn't it? That is confusion. And what was the original source that Paul repeated from? Book, chapter, and verse. So we're using his text in the paradigm to show the fallacy of his interpretation. That's exactly what we're doing. Right here it is. You know what? If you study this paradigm out and really look at it carefully and go through these texts, you will see clearly what I'm talking about. Right there it is. There's what Paul's looking at right there. Okay, so now, let's summarize this. Dale Ratzliff says the Sabbath is not mentioned. Right here, none, none. So we went from the first commandment to the tenth commandment. We covered them all in the paradigm. Covered them all. What Ratzliff doesn't tell you is look at all the, the passages repeated by Paul. The biggest bulk is from Paul of what is repeated. So what am I trying to say? Here's what I'm saying. What was the original source that Paul repeated from? Book, chapter, and verse. Take note. Repeat does not mean institute or starting from that point in time of the repeat. Repeat comes from a previous source. Yes or no? Yes. So what original source... That was it that Paul repeated from starts with the first commandment and ends with the tenth commandment. Book, chapter, and verse. This question poses some serious problems for what I call the nine commandment theory. Because that's exactly what it is, friends. A theory. Got it? How do you count the nine commandments in the New Testament that has been reenacted, repeated, or restarted? Did you get the question there? How do you count it? All right, here's what we're going to do. In what order are the nine commandments in the New Testament that has been reenacted, repeated, or restated? In what order? Watch this. Let's start with the Ten Commandments. Do you remember when you were children? When I was in the Methodist church growing up in VBS as a little Methodist guy, we went through the Ten Commandments. Methodist church, VBS, Ten Commandments. Now, can you tell me why as a children, as a children growing up, were we taught the Ten Commandments? And I'm talking about outside of the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm not talking about Adventists. I'm talking about the Methodist church, the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church, Lutheran church, non-denominational. Why were we taught the Ten Commandments as children? And then as adults, we are taught what? Nine Commandments. Yes? Wouldn't you say that's confusion? It's the Ten Commandments where the First Commandment and the Tenth Commandment is found. Right there. You've got the First Commandment and the Tenth Commandment. Right? So looking at the law of God as a child, how would a child count the commandments according to the Nine Commandment theory? Because remember, they take the Fourth Commandment out. Correct? Yes? Okay, 
So is this how we're going to count it? Is this how a teacher would teach a child to count the Ten Commandments today in school? First one, second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Is that how they would do it in school today? Some of you here are teachers. Anybody here teachers? Is that the way you would teach kids in school today? Right. Is this how a teacher would teach a child to count the Ten Commandments one through nine and call it ten? Is this how a teacher would teach a child to count the commandments one through ten like that? See, one, two, three, forget the fourth one, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's amazing how people call nine commandments ten commandments. Is this how a teacher would teach a child to count the commandments one through nine? One thing is for sure. This nine commandment theory has certainly changed the law of God. Yes or no? And they only parroted that from who? Rome. See that? This would certainly be confusing to a child to call the Ten Commandments Nine Commandments. Yes? That would be very confusing to a child. Also, as a child, I do not remember that the Sabbath commandment was called ritual. Did you ever hear that as a child? Not all of you have been raised as Adventists. I know some of you have been from different backgrounds. Were you ever taught that the Fourth Commandment was ritual law? I was never taught that in the Methodist or Baptist church. So see, when you look at the law of God, every time you look at it, it's going to be the same thing. You see, every exact time you open up the Ten Commandments, you're not going to be able to get around this, friends. It'll always be there. Got it? Yes or no? But this is what they want us to believe right here. Because see, if you have ten and you take away one... You have this. You know, when I was a, a little child, I remember the teacher one day, she brought five little marbles, and I was just a little guy, and she put five marbles on the floor, and she says, now if I take away three marbles, one, two, three, how many marbles do I have left? And I said, still enough to play with. <laughs> this is wrong, isn't it? You see? they got to switch the commandments. They've tampered with the law of God. Yes or no? They have tampered with the law of God. All, what did I say? All Sunday keepers have changed the law of God by removing the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Yes or no? But which nine commandments are we looking at? That's the question, right? That's the question. This puts the nine commandment theory on the horns of a dilemma. Do not call the Ten Commandments Ten Commandments if there's only nine. So what do we have? This is what they show us. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach it. So what's our conclusion today? Here's our conclusion. Ratzliff says, on the other hand, what Israel was commanded to do, remember we read that yesterday? What Israel was commanded to do on the Sabbath would have been done naturally by Adam and Eve. Therefore, no command would have been needed. So I'm going to take his own statement. I'm going to hand it back to him and say, Dale, just like no command was needed in Genesis, no command is needed in the New Testament either. Why? Because it is a norm. It has happened from the very beginning.
From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, yes or no? And remember what he said? There's no command for mankind to rest in the Genesis account. But what did he say? No command would have been needed. Well, see, they'll say, oh, you would really want to know what they'll say? I'll tell you what they'll say. Well, sure, Jesus kept the Sabbath because he was a Jew. That's exactly what they'll tell you. Jesus kept the Sabbath because he was a Jew. Yes. Well, Paul was a Hebrew. Hebrew. By the way, the first time Hebrews mentioned in the entire Bible, guess who it applies to? Abraham. Hebrew. Abraham. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because that's what this gentleman said earlier, right from the start. That the, what was written, what was put in the side of the ark versus what was put in the ark. And uh, also, they do deal with that text a little bit, but very little. So here's where, how we're going to summarize this. Why wouldn't the same be true for the born-again Christians in the New Testament? If it was good enough for Adam to naturally keep, why wouldn't it be for us as New Testament Christians? Right? Now, Ratzliff has no proof from the Bible that the Sabbath has been abolished in the New Testament. No proof. Unless it could be proven. Remember, what did I say? That is an assumption. Assuming without proof. We read that right out of the dictionary, didn't we? Unless it could be proven from the Bible that the Sabbath has been abolished in the New Testament, it still stands. Amen? It still stands. So, let's summarize it in true interpretation versus false interpretation. True interpretation. The Ten Commandments was not nailed to the cross. The law of ceremonies and ordinances was nailed to the cross. That's the true interpretation. False interpretation. The Ten Commandments was nailed to the cross and nine commandments were repeated. The Sabbath was ritual law, not moral. That is a false interpretation. Okay? Did I make it clear today? Did everybody understand? Anybody confused about what we said today? Okay. Well, see, he was still alive. They, they say that it was nailed to the cross when Jesus died on the cross at his death. At his death. See? Yeah. Well... Well, if you want a, a Sabbath text for after the... By the way, the New Covenant was ratified at the death of Jesus, not the resurrection. They're three days too late. When people say, I, I keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection and the New Covenant. No, the New Covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus on the cross. On the cross. New Covenant. Cross. So, if you want a commandment for keeping the Sabbath after the ratification of the covenant, look at Luke chapter 24, actually 23. Let's get our Bibles. You want to look at it real quick? And then we'll wrap it up. But in uh, Luke, this is an amazing text. This was after the new covenant was ratified. In Luke chapter 23, let's look at it real quick here. Luke chapter 23. And notice here in verse, um, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, right here. 
Luke chapter 23, verse 56. You could start at verse 54 and read through that. Uh, but notice what, what, what they say here, what, what the Bible's saying. And they returned. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus. And once it's ratified, nobody could add to it and nobody could take away from it. And notice what the Bible says. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. What commandment? Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Got it? That was after the ratification of the covenant. And once the covenant's been ratified, you can't touch it. You can't change it. It's like uh, your will and testament. People go through probate and people can fight it and relatives fight. But I'll tell you what, when it's law, it's law, right? And you have to go through the process. So there's a commandment after the ratification of the covenant right there. Okay? All right. Are we ready to pray? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for the time that we've come together today. And I pray, Father, that you, you will be with each and every one here today, Lord. Bless each one in a special way. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.